The college years have traditionally been a time for championing open dialogue, discussions about different ideas and opinions, conclusions about everything from morality and religion to science and politics. But these days, just the mention of having faith in the God of the Bible in many of our most reputable institutions could be on par with claiming to be a caveman of the first degree. Yet, so many of these same bastions of higher education, including such prestigious universities as Harvard, Yale, and others, actually began as Christian theological institutions. As Christian parents, then, how should we be preparing our kids to deal with an academic environment that might actually be hostile to their faith? How can we better prepare our kids to stand their ground amidst this growing hostility? And should we even consider sending our kids to a college or university that might very well draw our kids away from God or from us and the rest of their families? We're going to talk about that next on Licensed to Parent. Welcome and thanks for tuning in once again to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with troubled teens. Our host on the program is the founder and director of Shepherds Hill Academy, Trace Embry, and I'm Rich Rosel. And Trace, it is certainly no secret that for quite some time now, there's been a liberal bent in much of higher education. But in recent times, there's, well, actually been a rather seething resentment, maybe even a hate for anything having to do with faith in God, particularly faith in the Christian God. What are your thoughts on this? Well, you know, I suppose I'm a bit conspiratorial than most people. And it's largely because I've been around long enough and, and heard enough things, uh, seen enough things, experienced enough things to lead me to believe that, you know, much of the hostility toward faith in higher education isn't a result of superior knowledge at all that any of these professors uh, or administrators have. In fact, I'd say it's quite the opposite. I'd say it stems from a lack of knowledge on their part. But even more than that, I'd say that it's ultimately a lack of wisdom. Yeah. Which requires a moral component that mere knowledge doesn't require. There's an old saying that says, the mind can always justify what the heart has already accepted. But it's also true that the mind can always justify what the heart has already rejected. Because in too many cases, you know, we have some very intelligent people, and I'm talking about the teachers and professors right now, uh, who've accepted a lot of false premises while rejecting other things they've never thoroughly explored. Uh, no doubt, these folks have exceptional neural faculties, you know, that, that gray matter, their brains, uh, so they can store, file, and retrieve knowledge like a, just like a computer. You know, they got straight A's in school. Uh, they can win a debate uh, while still being on the wrong end of the truth. They make good lawyers, and some are. And like lawyers and computers, many of these academics process knowledge just like a computer. Uh, by that, I mean without regard for a higher code of ethics than the ones they've been programmed with by their own limited academic training. Uh, another thing that, that so many of these academics don't always have is the ability or the wisdom to come to terms with, with the limits of their own finite knowledge, abundant as it might be. There's a huge and arrogant mistake being made uh, when that happens. So when they pass on their emotionally charged leftist rhetoric to their young and impressionable students, things don't always end well especially for those students who graduate consume lager in Bolivian snipe hunt theory and then wonder why no one's hiring. So these kids have a, have a lot of time to brood down that uh, warped road of bias and hostility, anger, resentment, jealousy, and misery that their leftist professors have gone down and helped pay for them. But 
you know, that's exactly how and when so many of our educational institutions, quote-unquote, embolden and equip more entitled adult spoiled brats to try to break our stuff or, or take our stuff away from us, including our faith, in particularly our Christian faith. Well, I'm definitely tracking with you on this, but at at the start of what you were just saying, you said that you were perhaps a bit more conspiratorial than most people. So is this a big conspiracy operation that's going on, do you think? Well, look, smarter and more informed people than me would claim that America's infrastructure, including our higher and lower education system, uh, is being corrupted by foreign influencers, plain and simple. And all you got to have is two eyes and uh, two ears and hear what's going on and see what's going on. Because this insurgence is not covert anymore. And it's not just going on in higher education. It's going on in elementary education and in all the other aspects of our culture. Uh, our media, our, 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 our politics, our entertainment, art, music, Hollywood, TV, big business, and all aspects of the Internet, Silicon Valley and more. Uh, they're all part of the equation in pursuit of a, of a global economy. Uh, we're being conned uh, to, to rewrite uh, and defy history, logic, common terms, uh, common sense, and even science. All for a reason, though. But we're so drowned with information, amusement, work, and politically and racially charged smoke screens to even notice what's happening. To quote George Bernard Shaw, of all people, uh, beware of false knowledge. It's more dangerous than ignorance. Uh, the Internet has led to an abundance of both knowledge and ignorance because when knowledge increases, false knowledge does too. And we're losing our kids and about to lose our country over it. And, and when we send our kids to these indoctrination camps called university and allow them unfettered access to false knowledge and perversion via that other parent, those addictive adult toys we call smartphones, we, we parents wonder why our kids think and act the way they do. We wonder why they're rebelling against the faith we so confidently thought they had. Uh, I'd say it's because the other parent has done a more efficient job of training our kids than we have. The other parent has their time, and it's a portal to our culture's spirit of the age that's spewing all the sexual perversions and worldviews of not just a few leftist professors or universities, but all of them, and all in one little plastic box. So, of course, the other parent you refer to is uh, computer access to the Internet or, more recently, smartphone access. And we, by the way, at the end of today's program, will give you some information that, that might help you curb some of that. But Trace, uh, it's, uh, we're overdue in expanding this conversation by bringing in today's guest. Let me introduce him. Uh, Dan Dupee is President Emeritus of the Coalition for Christian Outreach. He served as President and CEO of the Coalition from 1999 to 2015 and as Chairman of the Board from 2016 uh, till now. Uh, but Dan is the author of a book called It's Not Too Late, The Essential Part You Play in Shaping Your Teen's Faith, it's published by Baker Books. Dan, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, Trace. It's great to be with you. Dan, higher education has traditionally been something that Christian and secular parents alike would, would have considered to be an ideal goal for their kids after high school graduation. But uh, you have some real concerns for Christian families who send their kids off to some of these institutions. Can you share some of these concerns? Yeah, the concerns have to do with both the readiness of kids to be in the environment and the environment itself. Of course, I've cut my teeth doing collegiate ministry and have seen a lot of wonderful things happen in the lives of young people during the sure. college years, including mine. That's where I 
came to a saving faith in Christ as an 18-year-old. But I see um, the data is the first thing that grabs a person. 60% of kids who grew up in the church leave the church during the college years. So that's not a particularly encouraging piece of information. And then there's the, the stories that go alongside that of kids who've come into college with some shape, some kind of Christian faith, and seen that erode over the course of the four years quickly or over time. Uh, and they leave as a completely different person with a different set of convictions as a consequence of their time spent on a college campus. That's what caused me to want to write the book in the first place. I've seen enough of it that I thought, uh, I've got to do something more than what I'm doing right now to help this. Yeah. Well, I've often wondered, why in the world do we send our kids 700 miles away to a school, uh, pay for it all, when in many cases, right down the street, there's a school that can offer them the same kind of education? Um, Can you tell us why a kid necessarily has to go off to school, especially when he's uh, having it underwritten by someone else, like his parents? Yeah, that's a, well, particularly now, um, with the, the rising costs of tuitions, a lot, right. of, uh, a lot of parents, a lot of families have questioned that value proposition. Uh, I'll call it Trace, as you've articulated. It goes somewhere prestigious, somewhere far away. Uh, go figure it out on your own. And, and that hasn't, that formula has begun to break down. Um, so I see a lot more enrollment in community colleges. I think Christian colleges and universities that have held true to the core convictions that form them are, are going to potentially prosper uh, during the period that we're entering into because they are places that will ground a young man or young woman in the discipline they're pursuing from a biblical perspective. There's a set of assumptions about college education that have been sort of baked deeply into the culture that we live in. And one of them is the one you just articulated, go 700 miles away. It must be better over there than it is here. <laughs> it's not, you know, really, when you think about it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The grass is always greener on the other side. Why does the other side have to be 700 miles away, though? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And, and what I've learned over, over time is there, there's the, the allure of going 700 miles away or, or the allure of being in an elite institution is really, it doesn't, those are not predictors of, first of all, faithfulness to Christ in the, in the graduate, and second of all, their ability to, to make an impact on the world for Christ. You know, you can go to a nearby community college and do just fine afterward. You don't have to spend $75,000 and go to a a school on the other side of the country. Dan, let let me play devil's advocate, and I always hate that term, but just just to ask this question, um, I would completely agree with you that, you know, if 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 our goal in life and our our primary goal should always be to uh, uh, certainly to shine the light of Christ on the world around us, to live for Christ, to present Christ's love to other people, but at the same time, we have to be able to support ourselves. We have to be able to yeah. support our families. Yeah. 
And so many would argue, well, I need to go to that great college so that I can get the the degree with the great college's name stamped on it because that's what's going to get me in the door to that dream job that's going to pay for all my needs. Is there any truth to that in your opinion? That lasts uh, uh, about as long as your first interview, and then that that's over. <laughs> because, you know, the person's ability to actually Perform. do the work or not do the work doesn't relate to the school they went to, to the to the brand that they can have on top of their resume from an Ivy League school, for example. So, no, I don't think the proposition holds up at all. Do you think more parents are starting to catch on to this? Yes. Here, here's what's happening in the bigger picture. The bigger picture is, of course, college tuitions have increased well beyond the rate of inflation. So, you know, we see that this is a become an increasingly unaffordable option to begin with. So that, you know, that was the the first thing that happened, but what the other things that have happened is the number of college eligible people just by the demographics. There're not as many young people in, in the US who are going to go to college over the next 10 years because we don't there're just not as many young people. Mm. So those two things, and then just to add COVID, COVID has been a, uh, I mean, a crisis, nothing short of it in higher education. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I have a friend whose son goes to a Big Ten school. He went to school in the fall um, shortly after the school received the tuition check from his parents, the school announced that they were not going to have any in-person classes for the first part of the semester. So he's sitting in a dorm or an off-campus housing, taking classes over a computer. He could be doing that from anywhere. There's very little value in that uh, past just taking a course online. So for the spring semester, he withdrew. He's not going to be back at that school he may not ever go back to that school. Yeah. So the value proposition there absolutely was not uh, just not holding up. Um, and that's been, that's brought to a head by COVID, but that has been happening over time as it is. You think that, that COVID has changed education forever? That's the debate. In truth, nobody knows the answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, okay. the, the, the content of education can be delivered in a lot of different ways. That's not going to go away. Uh, in some cases, people love, they love getting the content absent sitting in a classroom. In other cases, they find it to be an environment that doesn't work particularly well for them to learn. Mm-hmm. When speaking about the bigger, more so-called prestigious uh, universities, why is there this hostility toward faith, uh, particularly Christianity? Uh, it almost seems like any other faith is, is welcome with open arms compared to, to Christianity, which is, as you know, we mentioned in the opening, uh, a lot of these places were Christian uh, theological institutions from the jump. Why the hostility? Yeah, I, I think that it's like a cake that's been in the oven for a lot of years. <laughs> It's, it hasn't happened suddenly. It's happened over time, over decades, even you could say over centuries. So there have been some fundamental um, 
assumptions about the world, about uh, you know how things work and what's right and what's wrong. Those things have have changed. I think at the most elite institutions, what you find now is a lack of diversity of perspective in the faculty. So there's a lot of groupthink mm-hmm. at the most prestigious institutions. In fact, there's an organization called the Heterodox Academy that's made up of over 4,000 professors and teachers at other levels. And they're not necessarily Christian, but what they noticed was the lack of diversity in the perspective of people, at, particularly at elite institutions. And this is not how education is supposed to happen or how it's supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. I think the real trace, the real collision point of the Christian faith in, in academics happens because people are un, they're, they're not even really familiar anymore with the Christian narrative, with the biblical narrative. So they're once upon a time, people could disagree, but they at least knew the biblical story. Right. That's not true anymore. I see it in the kids here. I mean, you you have yeah. to build a foundation under them before, uh, and, and, a, and a premise before anything you say to them makes sense. Yeah. And that's where that's where we're at uh, with even a lot of the adults, even uh, the parents that, that we that we work with. So I understand what you're talking about there. Exactly. Well, imagine that same thing played out in higher education among people who teach. Their right. connection to the biblical story is not what it would have been 50 years ago. Even if they were an atheist, they would have at least known and respected the biblical narrative. That's not true anymore. And when they do eventually sort of collide with the biblical narrative, uh, it doesn't fit the sort of anything-goes way of looking at life and at the world. The The relativism that we've talked about in the Church for decades has really come home to roost. Yeah. Our faith is not a relative faith. Jesus isn't making room for other religious figures. There's a, an exclusivity and an aggressive set of claims about what's true and what's not that is particularly uh, unpalatable for a lot of people in, in the world of higher ed. And Christians get blamed for being exclusive, and I think they need to know uh, to turn that right back around on them because there's nothing more exclusive than some of the uh, uh, schools that are, are immovable yeah. on, their, yeah. on their positions with no real objective source for which to be that way, because they acquired their worldview from a postmodern relativistic worldview that was fundamentally birthed out of the 1960s uh, in, re- in, in, in a rebellion against uh, the established norms uh, of that era. But we're up against a break. We'll, we'll continue after this. We are indeed, and we're talking today with Dan Dupee. Dan is the chairman of the board of the Coalition for Christian Outreach, and he's author of the book that we're talking about today, It's Not Too Late, The Essential Part You Play in Shaping Your Team's Faith. We'll have information on where you can find that book at the end of today's program. And uh, when we come back, a little bit more about the organization, ccojubilee.org. This is Licensed to Parent. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. Your children are teens now. They're growing up and gaining independence. That's kind of the point of parenting, isn't it? 
You're raising future responsible adults, but they're not responsible adults yet. They may be able to do things on their own, but you still want to be able to contact them and you want to equip them for success. So you decide to get them a smartphone. But why a smartphone? For most people, that means 24-7 access to everything on the planet. And that's not wise, nor is it healthy. Digital addiction is prevalent these days. In fact, we see teens of all ages dealing with mental health and behavioral issues rooted in overuse of technology. Issues that affect health, wellness, ability to focus, performance in academics, and more. That's why at Licensed to Parent, we want you to choose a wise phone alternative instead of a smartphone. More information is available at LicensedToParent.org slash wisephone. Is your teen's behavior dangerous? Your child's behavior may seem incredibly volatile during the teenage years. Sometimes the signs and symptoms come and go quickly as your child is growing, but other times behaviors are developed and nurtured that will lead to unhealthy choices. Here are a few items to consider. Does your teen refuse to abide by anything you say or request? Is your teen displaying behavior that's a marked change from what has been normal? Has your teen become increasingly disrespectful, dishonest, and disobedient, and openly rebellious? Go to HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and take the quiz, Is My Teen Troubled? While some behavioral issues are minor and best resolved at home, there are warning signs that your teen may need a more structured approach to get them on a healthy, constructive path. And Shepherd's Hill Academy is here to help. Visit HelpMyTroubledTeen.org and click on Is My Teen Troubled? HelpMyTroubledTeen.org You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program working with troubled teens. And today on the program, we're talking to Dan Dupee, the chairman of the board for the Coalition for Christian Outreach, and he's author of the book, It's Not Too Late, The Essential Part You Play in Shaping Your Teen's Faith. And today, uh, Trace, we're looking into what's going on in higher education, the colleges and universities that seem to be um, completely against a Christian faith these days and what we as parents need to be doing to uh, combat that. Yeah, and Dan, I can't believe how fast 30 minutes can go by, but uh, can Christian students still thrive in an academic world that's hostile toward uh, their faith? Uh, and for those who don't know about uh, the CCO, uh, Coalition for Christian Outreach, how does your ministry help college students grow in faith and become more involved in the church, even in the midst of this hostility? Christian students can thrive during college, and the key is connecting with other believers, mm -hmm. even above individual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer, you know, the things that, that we do in the quiet uh, of, our, of our homes, the discipline of community for young people, of connection with other believers, is the single most important factor that will help a young person thrive during college. Great. So what that means is that right from the get-go, before a student even arrives at campus, uh, they'll want to begin to formulate a plan with their parents of how they're going to connect, who they're going to connect with, you know, what are the options on their campus, where's a place they can 
go to church. That's the stuff that sets a student up really well. Mm-hmm. And what specifically, what, what are some things parents could be doing with their kids while they're young, marrying that intellectual pursuit uh, uh, with faith? Great question. I think the what we model in our homes really matters. And it's not that we have to be perfect. It's just that our lives have to hold some integrity. So being the same person on Sunday that you are on Monday, because kids will, they'll definitely hear what we have to say, but man, so much more will they watch us. Mm -hmm. Our example speaks so loudly at those points. So our own, our own opportunity here is to live life in a way where Christ is Lord of every part of our lives, our work lives, our church lives, in our marriages, in our homes. Again, not that we need to be perfect, just that we need to show up as Jesus followers in each of those places consistently and not be, you know, Joe hard guy at work and, you know, a really nice nurturing dad at home. Kids pick up on that kind of stuff. So that modeling, I think, is at the core of everything. Yeah. We're up against the clock here, Dan. I, I do want your final thought. What, how can you encourage parents to understand that college doesn't have to be the death knell of their faith or their future flourishing? Yeah, the, 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 I get to see firsthand every week of every year and have been able to see for 25 years, kids absolutely thrive through the college years and grow, grow like crazy in their faith. So Mm -hmm. there's a well-worn path of students who come before them who've already done this. And the main encouragement I would give to parents is you're not done with this project just because you hit adolescence or just because you send a kid to college your time of influence is not over. Your relationship with your child is different than it was when they were 10. You can't just tell them what to do. I mean, you can. Uh, Let me know how that goes. (laughs) But, you know, you have this opportunity of continued influence. And and what the data suggests is that our kids are looking for that. So we should not withdraw it from them, even through the college years. Keep the conversation going with your kids. Our guest on the program is Dan Dupee. He's chairman of the board of the Coalition for Christian Outreach. He's also author of the book we've been uh, discussing, It's Not Too Late, the essential part you play in shaping your teen's faith. And by the way, we're going to be having Dan back on at a later time because we've only scratched the surface of this conversation, especially about higher education. If you'd like to find out more about the Coalition for Christian Outreach, order the book we've talked about, or perhaps find a CCO ministry on a campus where your child may be, visit ccojubilee.org. That's ccojubilee.org. Dan, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Rich and Trace, thank you so much. It was really a joy to be with you. Yes, sir. Well, that wraps up yet another edition of Licensed to Parent. A reminder that if you missed part of today's program or you'd like to hear it or any of our past programs, again, you can do so on our website at licensedtoparent.org. Incidentally, while you're on the website, we posted some information about wise phone usage. I touched on this briefly at the beginning of today's program and about some options that your family may want to consider to help get control of your kid's screen time. 
If you'd like to learn more, you can find that when you go to licensedtoparent.org slash wisephone. Again, licensedtoparent.org slash wisephone. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosal, inviting you back again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.